Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy. The Old Testament book of Deuteronomy and Deuteronomy chapter number 6. The book of Deuteronomy and chapter number 6. As we're continuing with our last little bit of our series of the life and ministry of Moses, we now come to the book of Deuteronomy. Remember that the book of Deuteronomy happens in the last month of Moses' life. That is, the children of Israel are nestled next to the Jordan River, overlooking the promised land, that God allows Moses to finally turn loose and preach. He's been telling the people what God had said, thus saith the Lord, thus saith the Lord, for all of these 40 years. And now Moses, being a preacher himself, is now turned loose and is preaching a message and is giving the people what they need, the last warnings, the last instruction, the last bits of help to give them all the tools necessary for them to follow the Lord inside of the promised land. And now as we turn to a very famous passage in the book of Deuteronomy chapter number 6, again there are certain chapters of the Bible that when the story comes up, you should know which chapter it is. Or when the chapter is said, you should know what event. Genesis chapter 1 deals with the creation. Genesis chapter 3 deals with the fall of man. Genesis chapter 6 through 9 deals with the great flood. And so on and so forth. John chapter 3 is Jesus talking to Nicodemus. And... <clears throat> The book of, excuse me, the book of 1 Samuel chapter number 17 deals with David and Goliath. There are certain passages that you should immediately click. This is one of them. So much so that all the Hebrew boys and girls of the ancient world were required to memorize this passage. It is that important. And so if you wouldn't mind to look with me in the book of Deuteronomy chapter number 6. The book of Deuteronomy chapter number 6 and notice with me starting at verse 1. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 1. Now these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God commanded to teach you that ye may do them in the land whether you go to possess it. That thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all his <coughs> statutes and commandments which I command thee, thou and thy son and thy son's son and all the days of thy life and that thy days may be prolonged. Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with thee, that they might find, <laughs> may increase mightily, as the Lord God of thy fathers hath promised thee, and the land that floweth with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. 
And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. And thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house. And when thou walkest by the way. And when thou liest down and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign about the, about <coughs> upon thy hand. And they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes, and thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house, and on thy gates. And it shall be when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land where he swore unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities which thou buildest not, and houses full of all good things which thou fillest not, and wells digged which thou diggest not, and vineyards and olive trees which thou plantest not. When thou shalt have eaten and be full, then beware, lest thou forget the Lord which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of of bondage. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, will you mark a phrase that we find in the book of Deuteronomy chapter number six? Deuteronomy chapter number six, and notice with me in verse number seven, where it says, thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. Thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. And with the Lord's help, we want to teach this message here. Thou shalt teach them unto thy children. Thou shalt teach them unto thy children. Let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. And we thank you so much again for the opportunity to open up your word. And again, such a very important passage, such a landmark passage. And yet because it is so important, it's often missed. It's often neglected. And because of that, homes are falling apart. Lives are falling apart. Help us to understand this passage and put it into practice that we could see another generation raise up to serve you. Thank you again. Fill me with your spirit. I need you tonight. I need your power. I need you to work. I recognize that it's not me. It must be you. You do your own work. You grab the hearts. You get attention. You grab understanding and you help people make the proper response because of this message. Touch every heart. Open all their ears. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. The word diligently that we find in verse number seven means not to miss anything whatsoever that needs to be taught and not to miss any opportunity to teach it. This word diligently is important in here. And in the context, this is what it's carrying the idea of, is not to miss anything that needs to be taught. And don't miss any opportunity to teach it. Here it's giving the instructions, of course, that we're supposed to teach our children. And it's telling us what we need to teach our children and why we need to teach our children and the results of teaching our children. Now, we understand that we have people in here that don't have their 
uh, school-aged children. However, we all have people in here who are in a place of influence of children. And if nothing else, we have people who are preparing to disciple someone. When you disciple someone, you're taking, it may be an adult, but there's still a child in the Lord, and you're helping them to follow after God. And so whatever stage you are, whether you actually have children you're actively teaching, or maybe you're in a sphere of influence to teach children, or you're preparing to disciple someone, these principles are going to come into play. So they affect everyone. Not So I'm telling you this, so you say, well, I don't have kids, so it's not for me. I'll just turn this off. No, no, no. This is still for you. And we want you to understand and get these things. And God is putting an emphasis here that we need to be ready and prepared to teach kids, to teach everything they need to know, and that we don't miss any opportunity to teach people about God's word. Now, before we start, we understand that we do not rear children alone. We all have help. There's an old uh, saying that it takes a village. Yes, there are people that help you. Why do you bring kids to church? Because you have a pastor who loves them who's going to teach them. That's why we have Sunday school teachers. You have church uh, <coughs> Uh, people who could help others. Later on, as we get bigger, you know what I want to do? I want to take some older grandparents to adopt a Sunday school class and that they could influence a Sunday school class being grandparents to them, to love on them as the teacher teaches, to have just some parents to love on them. You understand we all have uh, opportunity to play. By the way, teachers are an influence. Believe it or not, principals are there. I don't know a single principal who, um, who said, you know what, my dream is to get to the place where I can make kids' lives miserable. <laughs> you know why they became a principal? Because they love kids. And they're there to influence. Teachers are there to help you. This is why we have to use these, these ideas. The sphere of influence. We all have teachers in our lives who influenced us. You may have had that history teacher, that one history teacher or science teacher who made the class come alive. And you said, this is wonderful. And the stories became so real. Maybe you had that Bible teacher when you had it and it made it become so alive and so real. That we understand that we have an influence and God places influences in our life. Whether it's a teacher or a preacher or parents or grandparents. That we have influence over children and God places godly influences to help us as we're raising the next generation for Christ. Now, with this, we understand that we have a role to play. Let's dive into the text and let's understand some things. First of all, our responsibility to God. Our responsibility to God. Notice with me as we get a running start. Let's hit verse number three. Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with thee, that they, ye may increase mightily as the Lord God of thy fathers has promised thee and the land that floweth milk and honey. Now, verses one through three, he's giving the audience, he's telling you that you're fixing to go into this land of milk and honey. Let me tell you, let me give you some things that you need to know if we're going to not just die as soon as the next generation passes. We need the next generation to serve. We need the next generation to go on. But it doesn't start with them. It starts with you. We have a responsibility. What is this responsibility? Verse 4. 
Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one God. We start with this. It all begins with God. That's where it begins at. God is always previous. That's where we start. In our own lives, God has to be first place. There is only one God. There is only one Lord. And you are not it. God is. He's the one that we have to please. He's the one who started this. He's the one that created us. It all begins with God. Notice with me verse 5. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. You might recognize this. This is the very first commandment. This takes all the Ten Commandments and sums it up into one major commandment to love the Lord thy God. Notice this, not partially, not sometimes, but with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. This is where it begins. Why is this so important? If we're talking about teaching children, why is this so important? Because if you don't walk with God, you can't teach someone else to walk with God. You see, the thing about reproduction, there's a law in science and the Bible called the law of biogenesis. You say, well, that's a big fancy word. What does that mean? That means we don't reproduce or we reproduce what we are. So if I plant bananas, what am I going to get? Bananas. If I plant a tomato, am I going to get corn? No. You reproduce what you are. So when we're getting ready to train others to follow after God, we don't reproduce necessarily what we want. We reproduce what we are. You reproduce what you are. We've all heard that adage, do as I say, not as I do. Well, that's opposite. You always reproduce what you are. So if you walk with God, you're going to reproduce someone who walks with God. If you don't read your Bible, you're going to reproduce someone who doesn't read their Bible. If you don't trust God, you're going to reproduce others. This is why we have requirements for our teachers that they have to be soul winners. They have to be walking with God. They have to be reading their Bible. They have to be seeing answers to prayer. Why? Because you don't reproduce what you want. You reproduce what you are. And we want to influence these people, these kids, the next generation. By the way, disciplers, if you are going to train someone else to walk with God, you have to be walk with God. You have to have that relationship with the Lord. You have to be able to work with them. It starts with God and it flows down to you. Before you can even think about teaching someone else, you have to have this relationship with the Lord. Notice as it goes on, <clears throat> verse 5, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. Notice this. <laughs> Jesus said, and you could finish this off for me, If you love me, keep my commandments. Alright, so if someone says, I love Jesus, but they won't obey, do they love God according to the Bible? They do not. All right. So if we say that we love God, then it is going to be showed up in our obedience. How do we know that? Verse number three. Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do. 
Uh, verse number one. And now these are the commandments and the statutes and the judgment with the Lord thy God commanded to teach you that ye may do them. Verse number two talks about the same thing. That we're going to obey God's statutes and commandments and whatnot. That if we love God, it's going to be carried out. It's going to be evidenced by my obedience. Remember, it starts with God and it carries out my life. Because we don't reproduce necessarily what we want. We reproduce what we are. You know, your kids watch you and your life. They study you. And they could spot hypocrisy a mile away. Now, they may be little hypocrites themselves. But they can spot it. And they could sense it. They could sense it in a Sunday school teacher. They could sense it in... A high school teacher. They could sense it in a pastor. They could teach it in a parent. And let me tell you, it turns them off. Because they're looking for someone who has a real relationship with the Lord. If you say, follow God. Well, why don't you? You're not going to win them. You're going to turn them away. You see, before we could start teaching someone, this has to be set in our life. We have to have that walk with the Lord. And it has to be evidenced. People will often say, all right, I'm saved now. How do I reach my family? By you being obedient to the Lord. You have to start with this. You have to prove to them by your own walk with God. That's where you influence. If you say, hey, let me tell you, you're going to hell. I'm going to heaven. But you're doing the same thing I am. What's the difference? You understand? When they watch that something changed your life... I want to read my Bible. They, they never wanted to read their Bible before. Something must be different. They're praying all the time. Wow, they never wanted to pray all the time before. There's something different. I want to go to church. I get to go to church. Yay, is it church time yet? That's different. What happened to them? You understand? With that love of a God, I don't have to go to church. I get to go to church. I don't have to read my Bible. I want to read my Bible. They see that. Before we could teach anyone, that has to be a part of our life. And it can't be faked and it can't be forced. It's because of a genuine love of God that I follow after him. Before I could teach someone else, that has to be settled within my life. To love the Lord thy God with all thy soul, with all thy heart, all thy might, with all thy heart. Verse number six, and these words which I command thee today shall be in thine heart. Shall be in thine heart. The Bible says in Psalm 119, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Let me tell you, if you're just reading one chapter a day to keep the devil away, you don't have God's word in your heart. This is the idea of putting it in, making it a part of it, having it so you're thinking about it, memorizing it, meditating it. It needs to be a part of you. That's when it's part of your heart. When you, when you can't go in a conversation without talking about the Lord, talking about, you know, let's take it this way. The things that you love are the things you love to talk about. For example, I don't have to be forced to talk about my wife. I get to talk about my wife. Why? Because I love to talk about her. 
We all have those grandparents who want to show us a million pictures, right? Here's my grandkid here, and here's this grand... Uh-huh. You know why they want to talk about them? They love them, right? You, get, you talk about what you love. If I love God, I want to know more about them. And it's going to come up in my conversation. It's going to be natural. It's not going to be forced because it's in me. But that comes from being with him and reading his word and devouring it and feasting on it. This is where it starts. Now, no parent can guide their children without them first walking with God. They have to walk with God before they can guide it. We have to have this time alone with God. Our influence with our children is not what it should be because we fail to pay attention to our own walk with God. We wonder why we don't have influence with them. Sometimes it's because we haven't been guarding our work of God. In the book of Proverbs, chapter 17, verse 6, it says, The children's children are a crown to the old man, and the glory of children are their fathers. That's um, Proverbs 17, 6. That last part where it says that the glory of children are their fathers is something that we know. Children grow up looking up to dad. My dad's better than your dad. You may have heard the old joke of three kids who were talking about whose dad was better. And one of them says, oh yeah, well my dad's a doctor. And after one operation, he gets hundreds of dollars. Well, the other one says, my dad's a lawyer. And after one court case, he gets thousands of dollars. And the other kid said, oh yeah, well my dad's a preacher. And just after one message, it takes four men to carry in all the money. You know, kids automatically look up to their dads, especially their dads. And when their dads break that illusion, it hurts the kids. The influence of a father can't be understated. We understand that our country is in a horrible problem because so many homes are without a father now. It's such affecting how kids are raised and how they're brought up and how they think. You say, well, it is what it is. We have to recognize where this is at. But those who are fathers, we have to guard that. I don't want to call it illusion, but we have to keep that heart. Kids are looking up to their dad. And once that is broken, it is so hard to bring them back to influence them. Again, I understand we're speaking to a lot of different people in here, but we have to understand that parents, both parents, have an influence over their kids. Fathers will just, or children will believe that their fathers can do anything. And you don't believe that? Ask my kids. All right, not that I'm special. I don't want to blow their illusion, but... They talk about that all the time. And again, I'm not trying to... But it's how kids are. When they grow up, they think their dad is the best. And they have to keep that because the fathers have so much influence to push their kids far away from Christ or draw them close. They have to guard that influence. So fathers and parents have to take care of that first responsibility which is for them to know God, for them to walk with God. Do you ever think about what it means to pray for a child, to pray for one of your children, to pray for someone to grow? Think about this. Why do you pray? Prayer is a declaration 
that I have given this child to God and that God has to take care of them. It's admitting that I can't do it myself. The reason why I pray for my kids is because I know I'm not enough for them. They need God to give them wisdom. I know my shortcomings. They need God. I'm praying for them because I don't have enough wisdom. As much as I would like to think I'm the greatest parent in the world and I know I'm not. I understand that I can look at my child and I could try to explain to them and they could look at me and go, what? I need God to get into them. God to grant them understanding. God to work in them. When I pray, I'm recognizing I don't have confidence in the flesh, but it's the spirit that they need. The Holy Spirit of God. And there's nothing wrong with admitting that. In fact, you're better off by admitting that. I am not what they need. God is what they need. And so if you feel like a failure, great. Go up to God and say, God, you have to do it. I can't. I'm not good enough. I'm trusting in you. And that should cause us to pray more. When we realize it's not up to me. It's not me. I can't do it. Better. The more honest you are with that, the better off you're going to be. I can't do it. I need God to get a hold of them. I need God to give me wisdom. I need God to direct my path. God, this kid is more important. I need you to do that. Parents who don't walk with, their, walk with the Lord are parents who don't pray for their children. And the, par- and the children miss out on the greatest thing that could ever be done for them. Prayer. Prayer. Prayer is what they need. Prayer. God has to work in their life. It is prayer. It is not me. This is part of walking with God. Is to realize I am not enough. They need the Lord. They need God. When you're discipling someone. If you think you're the greatest teacher in all the world. You're going to have someone who's going to fail for the Lord. You have a disciple who's not going to follow after God. Because it's not my great teaching skills. It's not my knowledge. It is God. It is God. Because God knows what they need. God knows how they think. God knows what to plug in the holes and how to bring them along. I don't. I mean, all of us who have had teenagers look at the teenager and say, I don't even know how they think. It is such a foreign concept to me. I need the Lord. I need the Lord. And that comes with my walk with God. To follow after him. I need the Lord. So we first start off with our responsibility to God. That's where it starts. It all begins with God. My relationship. My walk with God. Then we come to this. Our responsibility to our children. Our responsibility to our children. Notice with me verse 7. And thou, who's he speaking to? To the parents, to Israel. And thou shalt teach them. What's this them them? God's commandments. God's statutes. God's word. Thou shalt teach them 
diligently. That's not sometimes. That's maybe times. That's not every once in a while. That's not every Sunday or every other Sunday. That is diligently. This is taking every opportunity to teach them. This is taking every chance that we can to teach them. Thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. And thou shalt talk of them. What's this them? Talk of God's word. Thou shalt talk of God's word when thou sittest in thy house. And when thou walkest by the way. And when thou liest down. And when thou riseth up. Here it's giving every situation. Guess what? When they wake up in the morning. It is a great opportunity to reach them for the Lord. When thou walkest by the way. This has had the idea that we're walking together. We're spending time. We're traveling together. Use that opportunity to talk about the things of the Lord. When thou liest down. When thou get ready to lay them down to bed. Use that opportunity to talk about the Lord. And promote them to the Lord. When thou sittest in thine house. It gives the opportunity to talk to the Lord. By the way. When it says thou sittest in thy house. You cannot sit and talk to them things about the Lord. With the television on. You cannot sit and talk to them about the Lord when you're in different rooms. You cannot sit and talk to them about the Lord when these distractions are there. Some things have to be eliminated in order to build a strong house. To take these opportunities. This is what it's saying here. That we have to give every opportunity to teach these things. Notice in verse 8. And thou shalt bind them. What's this them? It's God's word. For a sign upon thy hand. And thou shalt be as frontlets between thy eyes. Of course the Hebrew people took this very literally. And they actually had a phylactery they put on their head. And then you look at them and they had the word of God. Verse number 9. And thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house and thy gate. So you go to an orthodox Jewish home today. You could see this upon their house. And you actually see this little box there that would have the word of God on it. You understand they're taking it literally, but why not? You should have scripture in your house. You should have it. Were they looking at it and seeing these things on their mirror? It doesn't matter. On your refrigerator, have it all over and take opportunities to explain to them why this is important. You should have the word. The word of God shouldn't be thrown in the back of your car and just brought out for church. It should be prominent. What makes a Christian home? A Christian home is not a Christian home because it has Christians living in it. A Christian home is a home that has Christ in the middle of it. What does that mean? That means that the central part of your home is Christ. Most people's central uh, part of their home is electronics. Friends, telephone, Facebook, gaming things. Having Christ in your home is what makes it a Christian home. You could have born again people living under the same roof and it not be a Christian home. Is Christ the center of it? Is it the biggest part of the day? Is it the thing that people all gather together? Making Christ your home. You say, this sounds hard. It is. You say, preacher, you want to know what happens if I turn off my television? I said, I'll tell you what happens. You're all going to stare at each other uncomfortably and don't know what to say. You want to know why? You've forgotten how to talk to each other. And you stare at each other and say, what do I say? And then you know what happens? Because it comes too uncomfortable, you turn the TV back on and ignore it. It's going to take some time to rebuild that skill of talking to one another. 
And by the way, kids sometimes don't like to talk about what they're going through. You have to give them the opportunities to talk. That means plenty of time with no distractions. You say, that sounds hard. It is, but it has to be done. It is so easy to let the TV become its babysitter. And by the way, all of us have been in that generation, whether you were the one being babysitted by television or you use the television as a babysitter, that's the generation we have now grown up in, where the television, where the gaming station kept the kid quiet and out of your way so you could do whatever you want. And that was all of us. We have to break this because it is much easier to take the root of least resistance and ruin a child by them not having someone to talk to you. You understand, you are going to teach that child or someone else will. You are going to answer their questions or they'll go to someone else that you don't want answering those questions. We have to make ourselves available so they could talk to us about anything, no matter how comfortable. By the way, it takes work to do that. It does not become natural. It's hard. If you could forgive the personal illustration, my wife and I have both had to work at that to allow our kids to talk to us. And I'll ask my kids from time to time, say, be honest with me. Do you feel like you could tell me everything? And sometimes they could say yes, and sometimes they tell no. If they say no, then I know that I have to work on it some more so they feel like they can talk to me about everything. You understand? It takes work, and it's purposeful work. It's not done by accident. You have to build that relationship. You have to work at it. It means to take time and attention, even when the kids don't seem like they want to. Does that make sense? May I insert here? The main thing of teaching children is that you have to be the parent. It is amazing as a chaplain for the officers and as I travel with them that the police officers often have the same message that I as a preacher have. Be the parent. Be the parent. Why do we say that? Because it's so hard to be the parent today. But my kid's not going to like me. That's not part of the requirement of being the parent. They'll respect you more later in life because you loved them enough to give them discipline. Then you let them do whatever they want. I know I got teenagers in here. And you guys may rebel at this. But let me tell you. You don't know what's best for you. But I think I do. You do not. That's why you have parents. Let me tell you. In all cases. Parents are older than you. They've been through some things. You say, but, but I'm smarter than my parent. I don't care. They've been through more things than you. And they're the parent. You know, one of the most important things to teach someone, a teach a child how to follow God, is by teaching them to obey authority. If you will not obey visible authority, you will not obey invisible authority. When you are training a child to follow after God. Now you understand what I mean. We're not talking about lording over and all of the other nonsense. 
But there is an idea of being a parent. When you're teaching a child to obey authority, you are teaching them how to follow God. If you fail to be the parent, you're teaching them how not to follow God. You say that's hard preaching. I'm sorry, but it's necessary. This is why the police are saying the same thing as the preachers. Be the parent. Let me tell you, I've heard parents come to me before and say, well, they'll just get better. Let me tell you, there's not a single case where a kid wakes up one morning, woohoo, life has changed. All of a sudden, things are great. I'm going to start doing right. It's wonderful. All right, I'm going to wash my clothes and do all this stuff, and I'm going to do it every day. It doesn't work that way. Kids do not get better on their own. As they learn to obey authority, that's when they learn maturity. You understand a principle in the Bible. I'm working on this paper. Uh, I'm going to get it out one day. But there is a correlation by how you grow in the Lord that is directly proportional to your obedience to the Lord. If you want to grow faster than the Lord, find something to obey. You say, I don't know what to obey. Then go to your preacher, go to your disciple, go to your preacher's wife, your thing, and they'll give you something to obey. If a child says, I want to grow close to the Lord, you know what they should do? Mom, dad, give me something to do to obey. You say, that doesn't sound like fun. Well, adults think the same thing. Well, that doesn't sound like fun. I almost guarantee that none of you are going to come to your preacher tonight and say, preacher, can you give me something to obey? You want to know why? Because we don't really want to grow as much as we think we do. That's work. That sounds awful. Let me tell you, be the parent. The greatest way you could teach a child to grow closer to the Lord is by teaching them to obey authority. And now that flies in the face of everything the world teaches about child rearing today. They want to teach you that some four-year-old can make decisions on their own that's going to affect them for the rest of their life. They do not. And by the way, neither does a teenager. Now, as a teenager, you give them more freedom and with the consequences of it. If you want to do that action, help yourself, but there's consequences for the action you have. Parents who take away the consequences of their kid are killing the kids and teaching them to follow after God because there's always consequences. We have to teach them that. There's consequences for every action you have. Be the parent. Why is this so important? By the way, let me go back to this other thing. Children are looking for someone to talk to. They're looking to explore the life and universe, everything. So many parents get so busy. Well, they say, well, I'm trying to give good things to my kids. Kids don't want things. They may want initial things. But you know what they want most of all? Someone to spend time with them. Someone to care enough to be with them. That's what they want. They want someone to care enough to actually listen to what they say. You know why they don't talk to us sometimes? It's because they think we don't care. I'm sorry. This is what the truth is. We have to expose it so we could fix it. Why is this so important? Because when it's all said and done, the kids are not ours. They're God's given to us on loan. And when you stand before God as a parent, you are not being judged whether they turned out to be a good person. You're not being judged on whether they turned out to be a good citizen. You are going to be judged by how well your kids obeyed 
the Lord. That's your, every one of us who are parents are going to stand before God, lost or not lost, saved, not saved, churched or not churched. They're God's kids. And our responsibility is to raise them to follow God. And we're going to have to give an account to God for how we, well, our kids followed after him. Because it all begins with God. It all ends with God. God is the goal. He's the one that we're pleasing, not the child. Our responsibility is to teach the child to follow after him. Which brings us to this last part. Not only our responsibility to God, and then our responsibility to our children, but notice this, our responsibility to the next generation Our responsibility to the next generation. Notice with me in verse number 10. God gives, or Moses gives a warning under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to the people of Israel. And it shall be when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into a land which he swore unto his fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities which thou buildest not, and houses full of good things which thou fillest not, and wells digged which thou diggest not, and vineyards and olive trees which thou plantest not, when thou have eaten and be full. Then beware, lest thou forget the Lord which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of of bondage. Here it gives a warning that there's going to be a temptation to forget God when the blessings occur. When the good things happen, to forget to follow after God. We must teach our children to serve God in the good times as well as the bad. So many people who are programmed in religion learn when bad things happen, I'm supposed to pray. All right, so I'm finally going to pray. But during the good times, they don't talk to God at all. That's why God has to do so many things to get their attention to finally get them to talk to him. Here it's saying, guess what? One of the big warnings is when things are going good to slack off, to stop walking with God, to stop promoting God, to let the teenager do whatever they want. Instead of saying, let's still talk to God. Things are going great. Let's take some time to talk to him and to worship him. Why is this? Because God must be real to every generation. We cannot rely on what someone else has done. We all have to live by faith for ourselves. Each child must learn to walk with God for themselves. They must learn to follow after him. This is our responsibility. This is as Moses is talking to the children of Israel. He's saying, I'm not going to be able to go with you. But let me tell you something important that you need to know. You need to walk with God because you have to teach another generation so that way they can learn to follow after you. And this continues on. As we deal with churches all around, sometimes we have an older church, meaning that everyone in the church is in retirement age. That's a church that's ready to die because they don't have another generation going to take it. You understand the scary statistics? Right now they say one Out of every 10 teenager in the United States attends church of any kind. Catholic, Lutheran, Jehovah's Witness, Baptist, whatever else. One out of 10 teenagers attend a church of any kind. And the statistics tell us that 7 out of those 10, uh, 7 out of 10 out of those kids who arrive will never darken the door of a church once they turn 18. 
We're losing generations. We cannot move forward in the Christian life if there's no one moving forward with. Our Christian faith can be destroyed in one generation if we fail to teach them. This is important. We love America. Why is America and the problem that we are today? Because people have failed to teach their kids to walk with God. And now Christians are no longer the moral compass of our country. And now someone else is. Other groups of people are the moral conscious. And we, we don't have any influence. Nobody cares what a Christian says. Because we're not that big of a deal. And we've failed to teach a generation to follow after God. We all have people, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. Are you in church? Do you read your Bible? No. How are you helping? Our country is failing. It has failed because we failed to teach the next generation. We've failed to move forward. You understand this was the heart of the matter here. We have to teach another generation to follow after God for themselves. To learn to walk with God for themselves. This is why whether we're teaching children or influencing children or discipling someone, this is our responsibility to teach others, someone else to move forward. So let me ask you, who are you teaching? Who are you preparing to teach? Who are you influencing to walk with the Lord? Where does it start? It starts with your own walk with the Lord. If your walk with the Lord is shaky, that's what you need to do on first. Maybe some of you need to continue on discipleship, praise the Lord, until you've had this walk with the Lord as it should. Then as you have this walk with the Lord, you should be teaching someone, whether you're discipling someone or you're raising kids, teaching a Sunday school class, influencing someone. We have to be using this to teach another generation to move forward for the Lord. We have to be doing that. What happens if the teenagers that we have, and we got several of them in here, what happens in five years when they're all graduated and if none of them decide they want to join the, or come to church anymore? Our church is ready to collapse then. We have to have someone else who's going to carry the torch, continue to move forward. Where does it start? It doesn't start with us teaching kids. It starts with our own personal walk with God. That has to be right. Because we don't reproduce what we want. We reproduce what we are. If this church had your walk with the Lord, how strong would it be? There's an old song that says, What kind of church would my church be if every member was just like me? How many souls would be saved today if everything was based off of what I prayed? How many missionaries could we support if it was all based off of my offerings? If everyone gave like I gave? What kind of church would my church be if every member was just like me? Well, it starts with your own walk with the Lord. And as you have a walk with the Lord, we have a responsibility to teach someone else how to walk with God as well. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness 
of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.